You're listening to Blind Entrepreneurship, an interview series podcast that highlights the stories of the top business professionals around the world. In each episode, we explore how entrepreneurs overcame blindness in business in order to execute their vision. This podcast is brought to you by Penji. I am your host, Jonathan Grzybowski, and today we have Matt Baker on the show. He is the VP of Corporate Strategy and International Expansion at FreshBooks. Matt is a money strategist and business coach who's passionate about helping entrepreneurs solve their most challenging problems. As VP of Corporate Strategy uh, at FreshBooks, Matt is helping millions of self-employed pros grow their businesses and get paid faster. As a reform management consultant and ex-Google strategist, Matt loves asking the tough questions that lead to tipping points in business. When he's not helping businesses, you'll find him teaching a change management course at UC Berkeley or giving back via his seat as a board member at the Next Step Learning Center, an adult literacy program based out of Oakland, California. And uh, Matt is a, a uh, traveler for sure. He's been around uh, many states and... and um, in, in countries at, at that, I'm sure. Um, the conversations that we have go beyond just the, the financial aspect of it. So don't take this episode as a financial episode. Um, you'll learn a lot more than just that. Uh, so strap yourself in and enjoy the ride. Today's episode is sponsored by Penji. Are you in charge of marketing for your business and need graphic design support? Let Penji design anything you need for your business, from a logo to your marketing materials, sales sheets, social media content, and so much more. Penji helps you achieve more with unlimited graphic design support, daily output, and a dedicated project manager, all at one flat monthly rate. We have an exclusive offer to the Blind Entrepreneur community. Head over to penji.co and use the coupon code BLIND for 15% off your first month. Again, that's penji.co. P-E-N-J-I dot C-O and use the coupon code BLIND for 15% off your first month of Penji. And now, let's get to today's episode. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's, it's an honor to have you, my friend, and really excited to be able to talk to a person of your caliber from a reputable organization like, uh, like FreshBooks. And so I have to start the conversation saying, is it true that you are a world traveler. I, I'm gonna assume that you started in New York, then went to Toronto, or maybe you went from New York to California to Toronto to back to California. Is that true? Yeah, it's it's something like that. There's been a there's been a couple tours in a couple different places, and and certainly spent some time in France as well. And so nice. so world world traveler is definitely uh, pretty spot on. Very cool. Out of all the one, out of all the places that you've been to so far, what is the the one place that you really could just define home? Oh wow! I mean, having grown up in in the Midwest in the in the U.S., you know, I guess I still think of uh, home like that a lot. But uh, I tell you, I really liked Australia as an experience. If I could get my head around it being so far away, anytime I called home and I was living in a different day than the people I was talking to, that was too much to take on. But aside from that, I, I enjoyed it. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, let's get right to it because something that I really find valuable when it comes to your background is just the, the idea of financial habits and you have some really good ones and I'd like you to explain them, but I I believe there are, there's some really core 
elements in order for uh, small business owners and entrepreneurs and things like that to become successful. So let's just go down the line. That tell us as much as you possibly can about these habits and, and, and what are we missing in our business? Great. Thanks, Jonathan. The, the way that we approach this is we do an annual survey of small business owners to try to understand, you know, to get in the mindset of what's working, what's not in, in, in a lot of the, um, you know, habits, but also psychology. And so effectively, it's, it's a data driven approach. And what we tried to do was understand which financial habits are people uh, participating in actively, and then do some analysis on our side to say, if you if you did do these, these, these habits, um, are you ultimately uh, you know, performing better as a business owner. And once we started uh, sort of doing the math that way, we found seven that only were adopted by about one out of four, you know, that would adopt all seven. And that 25% that were adopting those seven were, uh, you know, almost performing twice as, twice as, uh, as better, you know, twice, twice as good compared to all their peers. So that for us was a, you know, a big aha or a big insight to say, okay, if you're doing these seven, um, whether it's causation or correlation, the point is, if you're doing all seven of these, uh, you're really setting yourself up for for success as a small business owner. So that Very that cool. just gives you a little bit of the background of how we got to the to the seven. And then what they are, any individual one um, as a business, you're probably doing at least a few of them. So the real question is, you know, can you can you get yourself to uh, systematically and, and consistently do all seven? But any individual one is not going to sound that crazy as I go through them. Uh, but the the first one is uh, regularly reviewing finances. So it sounds kind of simple, simple, but it's consistent, whether it's monthly or weekly or however you do it, but you're taking a look at your finances. It's helping you understand the sort of up and down or natural ebb and flow of your business. Lots of businesses are what we call lumpy. Um, you may make a certain amount each year and you know how you're going to make that much, but from a month to month basis, it's, it's really lumpy. And so other, understanding that rhythmical pattern, you can only do that sometimes by reviewing. And once you start reviewing your finances, you can compare yourself to, to last month or to the same month, but last year. And, you know, there could be seasonality or there could be other factors at play. So just actually, you know, taking the time to regularly review them also helps you spot, you know, who may be paying you late and things like that. So anyhow, point number one is, um, regularly reviewing the finances and then um, i want to i want to actually well, yeah, jump in it. yeah i want to jump in with uh maybe in between each one and maybe ask a follow-up question that's yeah. okay and yeah. especially from a personal standpoint too because i think it's it's practical um i know i personally review finances i'd say at least twice twice a month um i do think a lot of times more often people just check it in the beginning and check it uh and check it at the end um and I don't know if that's necessarily the, the, the strongest approach. Um, and I usually do it once every 15 days or so. From, your, from what you've heard and what you've talked to, do you think, um, you know, what, what is like an optimal amount of time in, or, or amount when it comes to checking the finances? I, I like the uh, twice a month, it sounds like that you're doing. I think that's a, I think that's a pretty um, um, reliable way to do it. In some ways you could say, if you have a system in place, it, that helps you do it. You could be doing it, you know, daily or every other day, as long as that system is bringing information to you that helps you understand some of the things I mentioned around, you know, every time you're getting paid, or if somebody's, you know, outstanding on an invoice, or if there's a new expense that, you know, looks atypical yeah. from your normal expenses. If you have systems that bring that information to you, then I think, um, you know, you could be doing it more often. But this idea of actually, you know, setting out the time, if you could, if you could, you know, every, every other Tuesday you spent, you know, a half an hour just kind of 
going through through uh, through through your financial picture. That to me sounds like a, a a great way to stay on top of it. Love it. What about number two? All right, number two is this concept of having a budget. A, a budget, at least when I was you know sort of growing up or early in my career, was a was a word that I didn't really like. And so mm-hmm. it, it's it's a word that's out there. It means a lot of things to a lot of different people. And um, and frankly, you know, everyone feels like, you know, oh, if I got to live on a budget, you know, it's, it's like you're, you know, you got to curb your spending and things like that. When I say, you know, have a budget, really, all I'm trying to, to do is say, you should have a plan for how much you're going to make and how much you're going to spend going forward. It's really just setting yourself up with some targets in mind that you can then measure yourself against and understand if you're on track or not. Uh, so, you know, in the business that I'm in, you know, we have an annual budget and then we know if we're on track or not, if you just had, a, you know, how, you know, you could think of it even in number of clients, how many clients should I, you know, have, you know, next month or, or three months out or six months out that in a way is budgeting your growth. Uh, so for, for me, this, this concept of just having a budget is, do you, um, do you have an idea of where you're going? Have you spelled that out? And, and, and I know a lot of the spirit of what, what you're talking about on your podcast is, is around feeling blind. And so having a budget is, is really just having a vision for where you're trying to go. And then you can measure yourself against whether or not you're, you're, you're meeting those. And, and, and by the way, if you're, if you're exceeding, then, you know, cause for celebration. And if you're not, then that's a great tool to diagnose uh, some potential problems or blockers that you're seeing uh, creep up that are, you know, stopping you from getting to, to where you want to go. I think one of the most important things when it comes to budget, like I think everybody has a budget, but it's really hard to be able to, you know, uh, I guess, stay true to that budget, right? Like if it goes as an entrepreneur, as a small business owner, um, it's, I would say if it goes a couple hundred dollars or even a couple thousand dollars short, you just go, okay, you know, it's fine. But is it really fine? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And I, I, you know, again, not, not wanting to make this too um, complex or too complicated in a lot of ways, but whether that's a couple hundred dollars, a couple thousand dollars, once you have a budget in place, then you can just say, you know, as a percentage, how much am I off? And, and yeah. that's sometimes comforting. You know, if it's less than 10% off, I mean, it's probably in the, in the larger plan, you know, it's probably like, hey, you know, I actually set a pretty good budget. So, um, and by the way, things always change, like in my own experience, and then talking with business owners as well, you get halfway through a year and, you know, <laughs> things are different than when you set that budget. But yeah. it's still about, you know, holding yourself accountable to some some kind of path that that, that, that you're on. And so just maintaining that is, is a way of, of just feeling like, am I over or underspending? Am I over or under earning? And, and it helps make decisions. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, just, you know, go for it, please. Well, you know, something else that um, as you continue to go through the just the the habits, because I'm I am curious. Um, I think technology is another thing too that obviously comes into play because if you don't have the if you're not set up right, from what I my perspective, and this isn't me just you know promoting FreshBooks, although I think it's an incredible software. Um, I, I will be honest, we did use it at one point. Um, we do no longer use it because we've kind of outsourced it, but from the standpoint of what it is and, and how we've, uh, used it, it, it's always a good refresher to kind of just like be able to look at your daily budget, to look at your monthly budget and your expenses, see what's going in, what's coming out, and then just 
being able to assess and, and make smart decisions based off of graphs and data. Yeah, I mean, all that visibility is great. I mean, it's, it's not a surprise that even this whole, you know, um, framework of thinking out in the world around the lean management system, it's a lot of visual visualizing work. Um, but I would say, you know, the most common thing I hear when I talk to uh, business owners that are uh, self-employed, they're, they're trying to, you know, build a business. One of the biggest hurdles that I hear, all the, or the biggest sort of milestones I hear a lot is, I want to make six figures. This is this idea of I want my business to represent you know a hundred thousand dollars of, of, of uh, revenue, and sometimes that's compared to you know what they were making when they had a job, or it's just this idea of hey I've made it I've now you know crossed this barrier, whatever whatever that piece uh, whatever that reason is. But when that's the most common, what's really interesting is then to sort of deconstruct um, how do you, how would you get to that? So how much would you have to be making mm -hmm. each month? And then if you have an idea of how much you're charging a client, well then therefore, how many clients do you need to be having at yeah. one time? And if I need to serve that many clients at one time, do I need to bring on an employee or do I need to bring on a contractor or something like that? And, and so just starting with those targets, which in a way is, you know, again, to, to use the, the, the term, it's sort of like budgeting, you know, your, your revenue, but it helps you break it all down and then understand how doable it is. Um, and sometimes, um, you know, sometimes you can get lucky and get there anyway, but, but more often than not, when you do that exercise of breaking it down, you can you can um, understand, you know, the, the, the real levers that are going to help you get there. I think that advice is so good. But at the same time, a lot of people and I know I'm for one, um, never did it. And then when I actually did it, the enlightenment that I was able to obtain was, again, uh, life changing, in my opinion. Because I, like I've heard, and no, no offense, but I've heard this, I've heard that, that what do you want to make? What do you want to do? Then work backwards in order to get there. But like how many people actually take that practice into account and do it themselves? I'd, I'd say a large majority of them don't. But then when you actually do it and you decipher through like, what am I going to look like? Um, we had a conversation internally about uh, scaling our business beyond um, you know, wh where we're currently at. We, we recently hit Inc. 5000. And so, you know, the, the budget of what was it, Inc. 5000 when we started out of our garage, so to speak, it's completely different. And so like, but however, we envision ourselves getting to this point. And if we didn't make these preparations, I can almost guarantee we probably wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for that. Yeah, I mean, by the way, I think that's I think that's the reality of it. I think it's a great it's a great anecdote. I mean, there's there's obviously lots of advice that is hard to adopt. Um, you know, what I would say is uh, sometimes um, that whole financial side is something that that people want to avoid. Um, you know, they didn't they're not creating their business because they want to get into budgeting, right? I mean, it's just like yeah. uh, that the, the term and the whole process can be can be overwhelming and, and things like that. What, what I would recommend to, to, you know, to anyone listening is just to try to make it practical, this idea of, okay, if I'm doing more of a service based type of business, like, you know, I'm running an, an agency or a firm of some sort. Um, if you do that exercise, um, you know, maybe the takeaway is how many clients, active clients should I have at one time? And then really, that's just helping you as you get a snapshot when you're in the middle of a month or the end of a month, hey, do I need to go out and, and, and prospect? Because do I need to bring on more clients or do I have the, you know, the, right, the right volume and now I just got to you know, optimize the rest? And so that, that, maybe that's an example of making it a little bit more practical. Yeah. I mean, you also have some, some incredible advice in terms of, um, of, of uh, your past 
because as a person that has worked the corporate ladder, I'm sure you've been able to see a lot of different things, uh, a lot of different experiences, a lot of different people. Um, do you feel that the sense of, of money management and people management were similar from where you are now to what you've experienced uh, you know, previously in your other companies? Well, I think, you know, when I think of money management and people management, it's always a journey. And so, um, you know, I'm trying to get better at it myself in a lot of different ways. Um, and it, it, each organization that I've been in, uh, you know, is different w one way or another. Um, I, I guess the thing that continually always jumps to the top of my mind when I think about people who are trying to build their own businesses is that they're just stuck in a way having to wear all the hats. And that's just a really tough position to be in and then therefore also yeah. want to, you know, want to compete with companies that have lots of people. And so a lot of times this whole budgeting process can sound easier when you have multiple teams, because then it's like, you know, somebody in finance is, you know, sort of keeping an eye on the budget daily, as opposed to the business owner having to, uh, to take time to do it. And that's maybe why, you know, one of the things is around regularly reviewing it. So it's almost like, can you, as a business owner, can you take on and off all the hats you need to do in a week or a, or a month where some of them are finance, some of them are sales, some of them are execution, some of them are very creative and so on and so forth. And so, um, I, you know, I certainly think that that's, um, that's a challenge. And, and then, you know, in, in, in my own experience, I just learn from, from doing it each time, you know, um, the whole budget, the whole idea of a budgeting process is, is, is challenging because sometimes you want to set yourself stretch goals. Uh, but then, you know, you're setting yourself up for maybe I'm not going to hit those. And then what's that experience going to be like? Or sometimes you set a goal that you know you can beat and then it's all upside. Um, but, but then, you know, um, you know, maybe you're not, you know, stretching yourself. Right. So I, I just um, I don't know that there's a there's a silver bullet uh, on, on that one. But I think just getting started with the practice um, each time that you do a budget, it, you know, you mentioned your own company, given being 5,000 or so, I would say each year, you're probably getting a bit more sophisticated about it. So the, the real punchline is just get started, um, yeah. you know, just start somewhere and, and you'll actually um, get that experience to, to get better over time. Because I feel like if you're able to do exactly what you just said, you're going to be able to level up. And the more you do anything, the more you realize that this process doesn't work or I can make this process better. I can do different, do something different or allocate more time in a different area. Um, and you just become a smarter individual, right? Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. And one of the other data points we find is that, you know, on average, uh, somebody who's working for themselves, they spend about, I want to call it 15 to 20% of their time prospecting. This mm. is this idea of going out and trying to find work. And so if you try to equate that to a week, that's almost like one whole day out of every week that you're just focusing on new business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, cause what we hear from a lot of people, one is a lot of people say, I don't like to sell. And by the way, you know, this idea of selling is kind of un uncomfortable often, but yeah. that, you know, that's one thing we hear. I don't like to sell. And then a lot of people are saying, Hey, I'm too busy to sell. Cause I'm just trying to get stuff done. Um, and both of those are quite valid, but at the same time, um, you got to be able to understand if that's helping or hurting your business. Um, and so what we would find is, you know, if you're spending that 15 to 20, you, you can always, you know, bring it up or down depending on, you know, if you have enough prospects. So um, a lot of times, you know, but you wouldn't know that until you started thinking about it that way or, or budgeting your time, so to speak, um, that that's how you have some of those uh, discoveries. Yeah, I'd be curious if, to know any more data that you might have some data points. Uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot. So if anything comes to mind, please jump right ahead. Um, 
but to me, 15% is for prospecting. I, I actually think that's kind of low. Um, I, I was, I would hope that more people are able to spend more time prospecting because at the end of the day, as an owner or as a business professional, you should be the one driving the sales. You should be driving the vision of the company, right? Yeah. Well, I, by the way, hundred percent agree with that. I think the challenge is often if you're, if you're at that mode where you are the whole company. So yeah, that's true. You gotta yeah, that too. Distinguish from the one person to the 10 person company. And you know, and there's a big difference there, but when you're the one person one, then, then, you know, you, you, you got to wear all those hats. And then once you get bigger then you know, perhaps you can uh, hire a dedicated person. But even if you're a five person company, having one person on sales would just give you that 20%, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but I, but I agree, you know, uh, what we see as well, um, you know, there's lots of figures out there around how many businesses fail, particularly in the first year, but often, you know, the most often, uh, reason that we hear is that, you know, they weren't able to bring in the, uh, the customers, the clients, the prospects that, that they thought they could. Now, sometimes yeah. maybe, maybe the idea wasn't as strong as they thought, or maybe, um, there's other things that get in the way, but if that's the number one thing, you know, having a source of clients is, is a huge, um, differentiator out in the market. And I would say, um, long-term that's probably the thing that you want to get the best at is the ability to bring on a client. Cause that'll give you, you know, that'll give you the understanding of how to price your work, how to grow over time, how to get more clients when you want it. And then the rest becomes a bit more, a bit more operational. Um, and I think, you know, some folks fall into a, um, a habit of using systems to, uh, well, I should, shouldn't say systems, using online platforms to get them work. Um, mm. you know, the most popular out there in the, in, in the world, probably Uber, for instance, you know, it gives you yeah. the flexibility and, and the control over your time, which is fantastic. But uh, but they get the work for you and they price it for you. And so there's really sometimes not as much upside as you'd like as, as, as being self-employed. Uh, and the same would go for other platforms where you can get, even if it's creative work, like design work, if there's, if that platform is bringing you the customer, that means they're probably also owning the customer relationship and setting the price. And so you're then stuck in this more fulfillment model. It's sort of how a lot of uh, flower shops out in the world are, you know, the sales are happening online and then, you know, it's getting pushed to the flower shop and the flower shop's going to deliver, but they're yeah. not, you know, owning the customer. And so, mm -hmm. you know, your ability to own the customer and, and, and actually prospect to me, it, it's just, it's just a huge differentiator to have long-term success uh, yeah. on your own. I mean, that's really powerful what you said. Um, and I really, I mean, if you want to go deeper into that, I'd love to be able to hear ways from your perspective on you know how to keep that client because what i've experienced from and going back to what you said earlier i, I talk to friends and, and people who see what we're doing and they're like hey i need some advice and for the most time i usually do it if it's friend people uh, people who i'm friends with or family with and, and i realized after breaking down these conversations with them i find out that a lot of the times they are doing all this busy work, right? And they're they're managing their books and they're 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 doing all of the the things that they need to do if they were to be successful, but the problem is that they're not actually generating any revenue to really manage any books. So like from the idea of ownership and I know we're kind of going down another rabbit hole here, but from the idea of ownership I think it's such a powerful statement. Um, do you want to add on top of that? Well, just to your, your point there around a lot of people feeling like they're busy, um, you know, I think that's sort of a microcosm of, of a lot of the opportunities that are out there today as a, as a business owner. 
there, there's so much that you can do and there's also the fear of missing out on certain things. So then you feel like you got to have your hand in all these things, but oftentimes, you know, you're not an expert or you're not spending enough time to really make it work. When, when, when we're just talking about this idea of prospecting, so not so much around keeping, but just going out to find clients, we asked people, you know, at least by order, you know, what's most successful, you know, and the things that tend to come to the top are things like uh, word of mouth and, and personal referrals and these things that are, you know, you would generally think is of as very old school, um, but they're tried and tested. And, and, you know, it's often a relationship business out there. Um, what I would say that ended up being lower on the list would be something like social media. Now for any one business that could be amazing. But for the average person that, that, we're, that we're speaking to and talking about, everyone has this feeling that they got to be involved in social media. So everyone's got, um, you know, depending on their business type, of course, but they'll have a, you know, Facebook page and they're doing Twitter or Instagram, or they've taken over their Yelp page and they're trying to do all this. Um, uh, but they're not sort of, you know, social media strategists or social media experts. So then you get, you get stuck often with now you're spending time and you're feeling like you got to update this thing. Um, or you have to be present and you have to, you know, push out these posts and things of this nature. But if you're not an expert or you're not really linked, it's not really linked to your strategy, then all of a sudden you're spending all this time and you're not getting the return that, 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 that you want from it. So then it becomes not this great source of, of traffic and, you know, or, or referrals or leads or what have you. And so, um, you know, just to that point to me is just, you know, so many people are stuck doing something that they feel like is you know, they need to do it, but if they're not getting the returns on it, it's that, that's that middle ground, that no man's land that you don't want to be in. You're almost better to just say, Hey, I'm not, I'm not a social business. I'm doing this other thing or, um, or finding a way when you're thinking about your budget to bring somebody on, you know, as an expert, it doesn't mean you have to hire somebody full time. It could be a, you know, another small business agency that's going to help you. But um, in, anyhow, I just think sometimes where I talk to people that that trapped middle ground where you're doing it, but you're not getting the return. That's sort of the, that's the part that you really want to avoid. And, and I know um, you teach a course at uh, UC Berkeley about change, um, change management in particular. And you're kind of hinting at, at the idea of if you, if something isn't working, um, you have to change your course. And again, from my experience of the people I've talked to, and I'd love to hear the data points that you may have, a lot of people are incredibly stubborn and they don't change. And that's what inevitably leads them to failure. Um, but the ones who are able to quickly adapt and the people who are able to, I guess, assess and analyze what's happening are the ones that are able to have a little bit more of a clear path. Um, from your research and your understanding of that, um, what, what is your take? Well, I certainly, the reason I personally have a lot of passion for this idea of change is because I feel like, there's such a strong sort of juxtaposition or opposing viewpoint out in the world where we all want strong leaders who can bring about change. Uh, when you think of the leader of, of, of a country or of an organization or somebody that's going to help, help you in some way, you know, it's all based on change and it's such a positive thing. But then when you ask people about their personal experience with change, it's often something that, that they push back on. Like you said, it's often you, you could call it stubborn or you could call it for some other reason. But if you ask people, well, what do you think about this change? Uh, they, you know, it's usually like, oh, no, I don't want to change. Right. And it's, mm -hmm. it's just, it's just, there's some kind of natural instinct there to to try to get yourself into something comfortable. And then people are pushing all this change at you and you're trying to fight it off. So to me, that's why I just love the, the topic. And I think um, 
what I, you know, try to do throughout that course, but also just, you know, in, in conversations more generally is just um, helping and looking for all the opportunities that comes with change. So just to embrace the change and look for the opportunity, I think is really uh, one of the things to unlock. And so certainly if anything's not working, um, you know, I'm, I wouldn't, you know, advocate wholesale change where you just got to, like, you know, throw it out and restart every time. I'm not, you know, trying to say that you got to, um, you know, embrace this, you know, uh, radical change by any means, but this idea of, hey, I'm going to always, always get better and I'm always going to learn something new and I'm always going to be, you know, um, modifying what I'm doing. I think that's the, I think that's the right mindset for where we are because, anything that's working today is, you know, may not be working tomorrow. You've probably felt it with your own business. Some of the things that you did that got you to a certain stage are no longer the things you can do to grow to the next stage. And so just this, um, I, you know, just a mindset that is um, embracing of, of, of change and, and looking for the opportunity of within change, I think is the, you know, the path to, to, to try to make the most of it. And that was actually going to be my next point is how much of it is the physical change of you doing a new action versus the mental change of you just accepting that this, this wasn't working. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, like, I, I don't have the exact you know data point, but I want to say it's like 80% mental, 20%, you know, the actual, the actual change. And, and um, you know, so, so a lot of it, and by the way, you know, some of the theory out there says, every time something changes, you've lost something, right? And so mm-hmm. it's, it's not surprising that people may be, you know, uh, apprehend, uh, you know, have apprehension to, about change, because it means that whatever they had, whether it was comfortable, or even if it wasn't working great, it was something that they had. And so if they're going to change, it means they got to let go of that old thing. And letting go of that old thing is some kind of loss. And, you know, <laughs> if you kind of pull out all those threads, you, you start to understand it. But really, that's why I think, you know, a lot of it is, is, is the mindset and this idea that, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm open to change. What I love to do with, with people, just as a short anecdote, is this concept of priming uh, people for change. And um, it's funny, if I, if just as a, I don't do this all the time, but just as an experiment occasionally, um, the idea is um, if I know I want to ask somebody to change, um, if I first ask them, like, you're, you're a fan of change, right? Like, change is a good thing, right? Like, we should all be changing, right? And you kind of prime somebody to say yes to all those things. And then you ask them for the change. And at that point, um, you know, they're going to be less likely to, to not want to live up to what they've just been, uh, you know, sort of defining themselves as. So if people can see themselves as advocates of change, I think, um, you know, it helps, it helps people, uh, you know, embrace and adopt change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> some other things that I, I seriously hear from your background as a seasoned uh, professional um, is the, is the idea behind, strategy because like we've we kind of set the foundation to so to speak we have here's some things that we need to look at here's some things that we need to be doing um mindset shift personal shift uh physical shift but then there's like that strategy element to it in order to help grow do you find like what are some things that you find that businesses just simply aren't emphasizing or aren't spending enough time on in order to help their business grow well, I think, I think that's a great question. And, um, you know, I've had various roles, whether they've been called corporate strategy or I was a consultant working on strategic product projects, or I had an operational strategic uh, sort of a, I guess I was called a strategist in a former role at a place like Google. 
many years ago and such. I, I almost find that everybody that uses the term strategy, you know, sometimes mean, means something different. Like, you know, do we have a strategy or what's our strategy or is this, is the strategy working? And so sometimes, you know, it's a catch all for like, is our go to market, you know, uh, working or is our approach to, you know, this con anyway. So the point is, I think just that it's a, such a loaded term sometimes. Um, but if I just put on the, the, the cap of, you know, who is, you know, what is strategy? Um, you know, one way that I like to think about this is um, strategic, you know, planning, again, is these, these names that exist out there. But one way of thinking about it is this idea of a, a telescope and a microscope. Mm. Um, and so most people, I think, are a little bit more understanding and uh, comfortable with the idea of a microscope. They can, they can look at their business and they can go in on something very specific and they can say, oh, you know, this particular client didn't, client project didn't go well for this reason or this particular product line didn't sell well for this reason. And you have this microscope and you can zoom in on things. Now, that, by the way, that's, you, you gotta have that tool. It's, a, it's an important tool, but it's um, you know, getting you the specifics. The, the other tool here uh, is the telescope and that's looking out uh, you know, to the future. And so if we talked about earlier in, in our conversation around, you know, people not wanting to set a budget, it's, it's kind of a similar thing. When you, when you use the telescope, you know, you at least want to know like where you're going a month from now. It'd be great if you knew where you're going a year from now. It'd be worthwhile to think about where you're going three years from now. Anything over three years, you're probably just making it up, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. you can take the time and do it. And it, it's not, you know, the end of the world by any means, but you know, it's just, who knows sometimes with, with the way that, um, a lot of the, the, the um, you know, the professions and verticals and industries are going. So, but this telescope idea, I think is just something, you know, that you'd always want to do. I mean, even on a personal basis, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good practice. Um, you know, people sometimes have new year's resolutions where starting on January one, they want to do something different, like go to a gym or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I think a more helpful exercise would be on January one, you write down five goals for the year. Uh, and, and it doesn't mean you got to get started right away. It's just this idea of, the telescope. Okay. Over the next 12 months, what do I want to do? And, you know, maybe it's taking a trip or maybe it's earning a certain amount, or maybe it's doing something with your family. Um, but at least, you know, thinking about that as, as a, as an exercise, you know, to me is, is, is strategy, uh, is the start of strategy. And then, and then you can, you know, say, okay, well, what am I going to do to get there? You know, mm -hmm. um, do I need in fact to, you know, change, uh, cause obviously you need to do some change, uh, if, you know, if, if these are strategic goals that, uh, you know, above and beyond where you are today. And then so, and so anyway, as you start to think through that, I think then you can say, okay, do I need to target a different customer type in order to, you know, to grow the way that I, that I want to, or do I, not, do I need to add a product line or do I need to add some level of up service to my existing clients so that, you know, I can charge more, uh, but also give them more value. And, you know, it, anyhow, I think, you know, to, anyway, to my mind, that's, that's a, a great way to start it. And then the strategy is all the, you know, the, how, how am I, how am I actually going to pull this, this thing off? Um, uh, anyway, and it just, it starts the thinking. Well, I think that's actually a perfect segue to tools. Um, FreshBooks is an incredible resource. Um, it's a, it's an incredible tool. You guys give a lot of insights from a blog perspective. I remember very early on in the careers of, of my entrepreneurship journey, I've read a ton of, blogs before I ever pulled the trigger on choosing FreshBooks as, uh, uh, again, as a, um, one of the first accounting softwares that we used. Um, 
but I'd like to hear from your perspective tools in your tool belt. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit more about some, like maybe some essential tools that uh, you use either, whether it's throughout your day uh, as a human being, a, a person, Matt, the person, and then the business professional uh, on the other side. Okay. Uh, well, great. Another great question. I, I like that. I think um, if I think about tools that I'm using, you know, ultimately it's things that, you know, I feel are going to save time or, um, you know, get, get to some value that I, you know, d wouldn't, wouldn't otherwise, um, wouldn't otherwise do. I mean, certainly you got so much on your phone these days. Uh, you know, that's probably the, the device that everyone can, can, uh, can, um, relate to the most. And frankly, a lot of, um, folks who don't have laptops, they at least, uh, have a phone and they can, you know, they can do a bunch of that stuff. I mean, in my corporate world, I, I think it's pretty, um, simple at the end of the day of collaboration tools, um, where you communicate with others like email and Slack and instant message and things like that. And then, um, a lot of the, uh, pro work product that I deal with is, um, you know, written, written work or presentations, which, you know, everything is, you know, shared in the cloud these days. So, you know, I generally, you know, look, look to those things. Um, when I think about some of the financial stuff we've been talking about, if you're, if you're working on your own, you know, to, to my mind, you need the tools that are going to help you um, not have to do all the administrative work as much. So really it's about saving time um, so that you can focus on, on the, all the other things we've been talking about, growing your business, doing the work that, you know, you got to do for your business. And so a lot of those tools that fit into that box tend to be financial, frankly, in, in my mind. And um, by the way, this also gets us to some of the other things um, that, that we were talking about. But if you have a, you know, let's start with this idea of a tool that where you can actually review your finances. You know, some of the times it's like, where do you go? I mean, at a minimum, you can go to your bank account and you can see your bank balance and you could say, okay, how, how am I doing it? At least you're keeping an eye on that. But really that is not how your business operates. So you do need something else that's showing you, you know, who your clients are and, you know, are they paying on time and, you know, things of that nature. So that's where I, absolutely um, some type of billing or accounting software becomes, uh, you know, a huge, a huge benefit. One of the other things that we didn't really get to in terms of the list, but I'll just mention it now too, is this idea that you got to set aside, you know, money for taxes when you're making it on your own. You know, the typical employee, all that money is taken out of your paycheck before you even see it. You know, the tax, mm -hmm. you know, tax gets it. But when you start working for yourself, it's it's the exact opposite. And so, you know, the the worst case that I see is that you know somebody overspends and then it comes tax time, tax time, and they don't have the money in the bank to pay you know the thirty percent that they owe to the government, and so therefore maybe they got to take out a loan or some other, you know, and then it just starts a you know a negative cycle of of, of patterns. Um, so um, if you have an app that helps you understand every time you get paid, you're pushing thirty percent of it into some kind of savings account for you know for tax time. You know, something like that, uh, you know, could, could be uh, su super helpful, I think. And there's a lot of, you know, apps that do it. The other one is just because um, whether it's a one-person shop or a 10-person shop, you know, cash flow is often really, really important, um, particularly if, you know, you're really trying to spend all the, um, you know, excess capital you have on growing. You know, you want to spend as much as you can, but you don't want to get caught out and not be able to make payroll or something of that nature. So um, one of the... Uh, one of the, the tools that we offer, but, you know, others can do it, you know, as well to varying degrees is this concept of once you send an invoice, we'll automatically, you know, do follow-ups and, and things of that nature to help that invoice get paid um, because cash flow is so important. So that's an app that, you know, does that on your behalf. But 
the worst thing you want to do, you know, sometimes sending an invoice is painful enough because you got to itemize the work and you got to think through it, especially if it's, um, you know, a type of project that you haven't done before. And then, so it's not as, you know, um, uh, it's not as du dupli duplicative as, as other examples, but then um, going and then chasing to get somebody to pay it, you know, all of that can just be that's total, annoying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And so if you have a system that does some of that for you, that's huge. And so that's one of the things we've, we've, we've spent a bunch of, um, a bunch of time on trying to, to, uh, to do the other one, I, I guess I would just throw out there is that there's, there's lots of great project management software. Um, you know, for, for, uh, for myself, I, I use a product called Trello sometimes, which is a to-do list, a visual to-do list across these ideas of boards, but, but there's Basecamp and Asana and Monday. And anyway, there's, there's lots out there. And I think, you know, having a, having a system, you know, it takes time to set, set up any workflow, to be honest. But if you really think about it, most everybody has a workflow and it's either documented or it's not. And some of these tools, if, you know, if it works for your workflow, can streamline a lot of things, particularly if you're bringing on, you know, multiple people to work on the project with you. Like I was saying before, it doesn't have to be an employee, it could be a, a contractor of some sort. But if you need to work together with others, you know, having some type of uh, way to manage projects is huge. So um, uh, anyhow, I think that that's a good, um, you know, a good start to some of those, those uh, tools out there that I think, you know, make, make, can make a big difference. And I just want to double down on the point I was trying to make earlier. You can't get yourself stuck with this idea of, you know what, I've, I've heard this 10 times now. Okay, I fine. I'm going to get some project management tool and I'm going to, you know, make it a part of it. But then if you don't really make it work for you, then it's just one more thing that you're doing, one more thing you're paying for, and you're just not getting the value out of it. Yeah. So, you know, it's not for everybody. I mean, my point would be more of, you know, you got to look at what's, you know, what you can really invest Use your time in. And, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, that's the heart of it. So I just, I get frustrated sometimes with just this idea that you got to use it because, you know, I'm, I'm saying that as well, like it can save you a lot, but if it doesn't work for you, it's, it's really, you know, you're, you, you may be better off and may, maybe six months later, it'll, it'll make sense to you if you've grown a little bit more, maybe a year from now when you have, you know, more pieces to your workflow, then it comes in handy. So, you know, there's not, it's not always uh, the case, but certainly these things, um, if done right, are going to save, save time and really make you more efficient. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point. Um, I think early on in most, in my career in particular, I read so many articles about the things that you need. And then you start downloading all these things and you try to use every single one of them. And you realize that none of them really work unless you're actually using them. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so things like Trello and things like uh, whatever else that everybody else decides to, to use, if you're not actually making them practical, then don't use them at all. Um, if it's not built into your DNA, why use it? Simple as that. Yeah, I mean, I would agree, agree, hundred um, percent. And just as you thought about the tools, the other one that you know just popped in my mind is you know something to help you um, understand tax write-offs, right? Like, so mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know, if I'm just talking about financial habits, you know, another one is just ensuring that you're taking advantage of that because if you're not, um, you know the government thinks you have more taxable income than you really do. So you're going to be paying more than you need to. And, you know, if your competitors or, or your peers out there are taking advantage of those tax, tax write-offs, then, then you're working from a disadvantage. And so um, there are different apps that do it. Certainly there's lots of apps out there that help you track mileage. If that's, you know, if, if driving around is a, a deduction that you can have for your business, but um, having some other way that you're, that you're organizing that. And frankly, you know, there's a lot of, um, um, technology out there now where, you know, you just take a picture of a receipt or something and it'll get converted and pushed into lots of different programs. Um, or you have, you know, auto 
um, uh, sort of automatically um, doing some calculations uh, for how much tax you're going to owe, and then you know exactly what to set aside. So things like that, I think, can can take a lot of the the stress and the you know the the anxiety around around that away. There's I want to hear see as we wind down the conversation. I I, I just want to hear very very briefly the, the one of the most. Um, I'm probably one of the most prepared people that at least I'm very robotic in the, in how I do things. However, I am the least prepared person as soon as I step foot into a, uh, an accountant's office, um, specifically because I feel like I had everything and somehow some way the accountant comes in and says, well, what about this? And then you immediately like crap. I don't have this. Uh, <laughs> right. I need. I need to go back and do it. I mean, any any tips to just stay organized? Well, oh man, I think there's a you know I think there's a bunch there. I mean, certainly lots of people are still living in a shoebox world where um, you know maybe it's not a shoebox these days, but there's some kind of place where they're just you know chucking all their receipts and stuff. Um, you know, moving away from paper is, is, you know, certainly one tip would be to, you know, get it all into some type of, you know, document storage or some type of system that's organizing your expenses that, you know, that's, that's certainly one that's going to help come tax time. I mean, the other one, I guess, just as you were talking about that story a little bit, um, you know, I would almost say that that's, that's a good thing. And the reason I would say that is, you know, for me personally, and for lots of folks that, you know, that I'm, you know, trying to spend time with and talk to that are building businesses, you know, you want your accountant to be able to come up with things and help you think about things that you're not doing. I mean, that that's their expertise and their value add is to be able to say, Oh, well, here's some advice. Um, did you think about that? Did you think about this? You know, so there's things like, um, you know, just an example of um, one of those, you know, seven tips we were talking about at the beginning. One of them is, is, um, you know, actually picking a, a, a business structure that makes sense for you. Um, and you're not going to, you know, necessarily do that all on your own. That's a tough thing to try to be an expert in. It's like, you know, should I be a sole prop or should I create a partnership or should I incorporate this business? You know, you want to be able to, you know, talk to an accountant about that. And by the way, your accountant can also tell you, hey, you know, this, this, you know, incorporation model, uh, you know, might be great for us, you know, tax wise, but it's going to take, you know, more overhead to kind of manage that mm -hmm. sort of structure. And, you know, so it, it, anyway, the punchline there is I, I just think, you know, Feeling prepared, I, I, I hear you there. I don't, want, I don't want anybody walking in feeling, you know, sort of, uh, you know, like it, it's not going to be a great conversation, but feeling like the, their accountant is raising things that they didn't think about, that should be a good thing. And hopefully that's a source of why that, you know, particular professional um, has seen a business like yours in the past and has seen, you know, what's worked really well versus what they've tried and it didn't work, you know, and hopefully, um, you know, that type of advice can can go a long way to helping you succeed. I mean, I think the other thing I was mentioning just at the, at the forefront was just this idea that you got to wear all the hats. And so to the extent that you can help somebody else wear one of those hats, I think, you know, that's how you grow. Nobody ultimately, you know, does it on their own. Uh, and if they did it on their own, they probably didn't realize how much privilege they started with in order to do that. You know, I mean, you know, obviously that, you know, I'm talking in uh, um, you know, generalities here, but, but, um, but, you know, you need all the help you can get. And so it starts a lot with, you know, financial help, but also, um, you know, you want to be able to outsource and lean on others to help. So anyway, my point would just be, um, you know, it's a learning moment, an opportunity to get better when, you know, something's raised that you haven't, haven't really thought of. Well, speaking of outsourcing to some degree, um, how can people, uh, and I say loosely speaking, but at least using an outside service, I want to hear how people can learn more about FreshBooks, how people can become a customer, um, how people can 
uh, learn more about you and follow your journey and ask you any specific questions that they may have. Great. Thanks, Jonathan. Certainly, you know, freshbooks.com is the best place to go to get all things FreshBooks. Uh, you can sign up for a free trial to start and, you know, just give it, give it a, win, a shot if, 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 if that's of interest. Um, and on the website, you know, not only you can sign up for that, but you can also get access to a lot of our content, which is, is blog related content as well as data. So any of the data that I mentioned of our surveys is there. We've looked at things like by profession, how much is the average, you know, does the average person charge per hour? It's also a great benchmark for you to be able to say, if I, you know, am I over undershooting that? And um, anyhow, there's a bunch of data on there that we, you know, try to give away for free as a way of, you know, people understanding, you know, what we care about and what we think about, but also, um, you know, gets them more exposure to, to a brand like FreshBooks. So um, anyhow, freshbooks.com there. And then for me personally, um, I, I'm on Twitter at um, M Bakerson. And uh, be happy to you know engage with 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 anyone um, you know who's uh, you know interested in this content, um, and uh, certainly want to thank you for having me on. Absolutely, man. And all the links will be in the show notes. So if people um, you know, had any questions, if people wanted to learn more about FreshBooks and your journey, it will be there. Matt, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Blind Entrepreneurship. Your time, energy, and attention mean the absolute world to me. Thank you. Because you're still listening, even though the episode is technically over, that means that you're a super listener and you care even further about what I have to say and that means even more to me. And because of that, I'd love to be able to give you a small gift. As you know, I am the co-founder of Penji and I personally believe that Penji is one of the best creative services on the planet. It gives you the ability Uh, to free up your time in order for you to focus more on your business so you let us do all the graphic design support and all the graphic design help in an on-demand fashion. And because you're listening to this portion of the episode, I'd love to be able to give you 50% off of your first month of Penji. In order to do that, all you have to do is enter the coupon code TBESHOW That's TBE show for 50% off. Again, I truly believe that Penji is revolutionizing the creative industry. And if you feel at any point in time that your business is not getting the graphic designs that you deserve, or if you ever feel like you're paying too much for your graphic design team or your freelancers, or you're finding it difficult to find reliable talent, we'd love for you to give us a try. And again, that is TBE show for the coupon code and as always i have to end every conversation with the key phrase that it started it all go out there and execute your vision everybody have a great rest of your day